Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, we share messages of leadership development, mindset, personal growth, human performance, fear, ego, how to deal with those human attributes, those things that affect us on a daily basis. We go find those messages from executive leaders, C-suite leaders, high performers. We bring you those messages so that we can all learn together. These are actual real human beings that you can connect with and make a mentor out of. So we're excited to have have you on board, please remember to subscribe wherever you happen to be listening so you don't miss any of these great messages. Come find me on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're also now on YouTube. Our motto is to continue getting 1% better one day at a time. We're onboarding sponsors. We're leveling up our production quality. We're building out that YouTube page and we're excited to have you on board. Please remember to come find us, subscribe, make sure you hit the notifications. Don't miss out on any of the messages. Things are changing and we want you on board. This episode is sponsored by Leashes of Valor. One leash saves two lives. Leashes of Valor is working hard to bring service dogs and post 9-11 veterans together in order to enrich both lives. They're a nonprofit founded by veterans right here in Northern Virginia. Check out their website, leashesofvalor.org. There you'll find warrior stories, opportunities to donate. You can shop their merchandise, which all goes to supporting their cause. We're excited to have their support and to support them in everything that they do. Check out leashesofvalor.org. Today's episode is sponsored by PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. For more than 85 years, PenFed Credit Union has offered great rates on loans, checking, and savings, serving our military and local communities. PenFed is open to everyone. Helping their members save is how they grow. Go to PenFed.org to see how you can save more with their best-in-class rates, products, and services. PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. Today's episode is with Jeff Harris, former United States Marine and CRO of Order My Gear, an amazing platform making it possible to create just beautiful online stores for anyone who's selling merchandise. In his 40s, he was diagnosed with achalasia, a very rare disease that makes it impossible to swallow food. Even liquefied food, even shakes were laboring for him to actually ingest. He had to sleep sitting in a chair for almost a year. He lived that entire year while it was a constant state of uncertainty. He set out to be walking proof that we can take the victim mindset and turn it into a warrior mindset. He was able to walk through with grace several opportunities where it felt like he wanted to quit, but he knew that greatness is on the other side of hardship. He also lives by the words that his attitude is the most important choice he makes every single day. So he's a a living example that we can do hard things. Those challenges don't have to define us. Those challenges can actually make us an example to others that they can get through whatever it is that they're going through. So just a really exciting episode to have with him. He and I share some stories of how we've come to believe some of the ideas and have the mindset that we have. And I'm really excited to share that with everyone. So I hope you enjoy and let's get into the episode. Well, yeah, Jeff Harris, Montes man. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Phil. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, man. I'm excited to have this conversation. I think, um, you know, even when we did our, our initial discovery call, I realized that we had so much in common, you and I, 
the way we live our lives, the way we, we think, uh, we've got there from different routes, but you've been able to do so much in, um, you know, former military and, and what you're doing now just as an entrepreneur, as a leader, but the lifestyle, the mindset, uh, overcoming challenges, you know, I love all that. Um, so I'm really, really excited to do this with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. It's been uh, it's been great to connect with you and, and learn from you and and all your guests. And I always feel like an imposter when I when I listen to who's been on your show or whatever show I'm on. And it's like, and here I am. Yeah, <laughs> so, I you know, it's funny as I feel like an imposter all the time hosting people on the show like you and everybody else, you know, like just feel like who do I think I am having conversations with these people? It's weird <laughs> how we, we do that with ourselves, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And I remember years ago, you know, I, was, I just wanted to get on podcast to share some of my story and my journey. And now I've been fortunate to be a guest on on many. And uh, and now it's been and early on. The family would be all excited. It's like, oh, my gosh, my, my dad's on this podcast. And now uh, I was just putting the dogs up before we had this conversation. They're like, what, what's going on? It's like, I have a podcast recording. I'm like, oh. It's like, do you want to know what it is? It's like, I have, I can't even keep up. Yeah. They're so unimpressed <laughs> now. Yeah. It's so impressive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Well, yeah, you're actually, you're getting, you're getting ready later today to start, uh, the four by 48, right? Four by four by 48. I am. I am. Yeah. So I was invited last year, um, by some really amazing people, uh, and, um, some great athletes, great leaders, and uh, actually got a message. It was in about the four by four by 48. I had heard of it. I never really thought about doing it. And uh, I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. When are you starting? And like tomorrow. And I was like, oh, OK. Uh, so I was like, so as anybody here, here's what I recommend. First, if you have a significant other, get their buy in, get their thumbprint on the plan. So I, I gained support from my wife, got my permission slip sign. Her only request was, Jeff. You have to sleep in the guest room because I do not want you to disturb my sleep. For those who aren't familiar, run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So, yes, you're running in the middle of the night. Uh, and it was it was it was it was a great experience. And so we're doing it again this year. And the idea is you pick a charity uh, for this event. And um, a lot of the team running for St. Jude uh, and um, uh, raise raise money for the kiddos, uh, which I'm perfectly happy with. I'm also thinking about having another one for uh, a Greenberry racing uh, um, to, to raise money for, for that uh, particular endeavor as well. Cause they just been recently connected with some Green Berets who are in there. Uh, one of them is, is getting ready to uh, go on an expedition to Everest. And so trying to raise money for what they're doing and he's a former Marine. So, you know, it's like, all right, I got to help a brother out. Yeah. I love that. I am. Um, I'm going on, it's called the traverse. Um, so it's not Mount Everest, it's, but, um, it's called the Traverse and it's run by some green berets. His name's Chris Schmidt. He's been on the show actually. Okay. And, um, you know, him and Fran Rachopi, another green beret. And I, I love doing stuff like that. It, it, I think we learn so much about ourselves when we get not just outside of our comfort zone, but just away from like civilization. You know, I've. Oh, so true. Yep. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in the mountains and, and the time I spend kind of alone out in, you know, kind of the wild. And I've been all over the world, spent a lot of time in New Zealand out in the wilderness there. And you are completely off the grid. <laughs> uh, but you do you you get to you get to experience, uh, you know, mindfulness at a whole new level uh, just to be present. And when you're enduring hard things, you know, uh, getting pushed out of your comfort zone, that's where you really start to learn and grow. And I, I value these experiences so much because I get to just turn inward and, you know, when you're, 
when you're running something long or you're, you're climbing a mountain, something you have to just let go of the end game and focus on the process. And so to me, it helps you to be really mindful of the moment because if you start thinking, Oh, I got to go run 48 miles in the next 48 hours, you know, that can be daunting to me. It's, it's actually kind of fun because I do a lot of big endurance events. Uh, this is kind of like a two days of resetting and just kind of turning inward, you know, enduring a challenge for a good cause uh, and, and pushing myself. It's really, to me, it's a test of sleep deprivation and patience because <laughs> uh, um, sleep is uh, is God's medicine. It's the ultimate miracle drug. And whenever uh, it gets interrupted in the middle of the night because you got to get up and run, I'm, I'm not the happiest dude in the world. I can be a little cranky. Uh, so it's probably a good thing I stay in the guest room. But, hey, you get up and you act your way into feeling, you know, you don't feel like doing it. Uh, but motion changes emotion. You know, William Blankwood said, I don't sing because I'm happy. I'm happy because I sing. We have to act our way into feeling these things. And sure enough, for those of you who don't like to run or exercise or something, you know, it's like I get up and do this stuff every day. I don't always feel like it, but I act my way into making it happen. And once I start doing it within a few minutes, like, oh. I got this. Your mindset changes. Yeah. I spend a lot of time around some folks and we tell each other that we have to act our way into a better way of thinking because we were never able to think up better actions. Oh, I like that. You know, it's really good. Yeah. Cause, but you're right. Like, I mean, you just said so much right there. It's, um, this, if you do it every day, you have to focus on just the task at hand, stay present. Don't focus on the end result. That's hard to do. But that's a process that we have to learn. So by doing hard things repetitively, we learn how to do that. We do. Yeah. And it transfers over, you know, to the business world. I, I serve as a chief revenue officer for um, a tech company, a SaaS company, Order My Gear. They're based in Dallas. I spend three or four days a week there. And my entire sales work, what we, we, what we did to kick off the year is we have, you know, this lofty quota, this goal that has been set by the organization to achieve. And when you look at it, it's like, whoa, how are we going to do that? We well, got to break it down. You got to break it all the way down to what do I have to do today to be successful as a sales rep? And it's like these are this is how many calls I got to do, how many demos, stuff like that. And this is how many wins we got to put on the board, how many deals we have to book to be successful. Because if you win the day enough days, you win the week. You win enough weeks, you win the month. You win enough months, you win the quarter. You win enough quarters, you win the year. And now that the comp- that the team is thinking that way every single day. The scoreboard started zero. We're focused on that day. And then we look at the week when we, as we get to the end of the week and it has changed their, their level of engagement and intensity of effort because they know now how to win every single day. And sure enough, it's uh, it's starting to stack up. These wins are starting to stack up and it's like, Oh my gosh, we're actually doing this. But as I always say, you got to let go of the end game, focus on the process and literally fall in love with the methodically boring. That's where it is. The magic is in the process. It's so like you, you can't just if you're looking at that, that end goal every day, it's uh, it could be demoralizing. You know, am I even making any progress? Yeah. I mean, that's literally what's meant by one day at a time. Right. You know, living one day at a time, working one day at a time. I spend a lot of time as a salesperson, too. And it's yeah, you really have to because then it's like, all right, I have to do 25 calls today. And, and in the beginning, it's just going through the exercise of making those 25 calls. And then over time, it's like, all right, well, what are the small tweaks I can do to qualify some of these people so that I'm making 25 more effective calls? And that applies to everything, not just sales. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about mindfulness. What, what does mindfulness mean to you? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, 
to me, it's being present in the moment, which we're, we're in a world where we're, we're drowning in information. Quite honestly, we're, we're starved for wisdom and direction a lot of times, but me and mindful, my day to day, it's, it's hugely complex, you know, as an executive with this, every, every decision that comes across your table, granted, I try to push those decisions down to the team, but things that get up to you, they're complex and there's crucial conversations you have to every day. You have a, a, you're in a high performance, high stress environment because you have numbers to hit goals to hit. Uh, and, and you're dealing with, you know, human beings. It's a, I'm an engineer and it's a, to me, it's a giant human engineering problem. And so at the end of the day, it's hard for my, I have a root, I have certain routines in place in the morning and night. Otherwise my mind never stops thinking about the problems, what I'm trying to solve, uh, you know, how I'm going to engage and inspire this team, you know, to go, go back to battle this next day after they keep doing this every single day. Uh, and so I have to calm down and, and, do meditation, you know, and just focus on breath work, uh, which is really huge for me. And because if I don't, I don't, my sleep at night is terrible. Uh, it, it quite honestly is because I lay down and my, my subconscious is just racing out of control. You know, it's like a duck on the water. It's like, I might look like I'm resting, but underneath it's like, my mind is just like, it's a turning like these ducks legs, you know, it's a, it's going, it's going kind of crazy. And it gets to a point where it, it, it's tumbling forward so fast, so fast that you can't really, um, well, I can't, you know, focus. I, I struggle to focus. And so I have to be very intentional about being mindful of being present right now. Um, and, and, just letting go of everything. It's like, you know, it's like spending time with my kids. Then, you know, it's being present with them and not picking up your phone. And, you know, we pick these things up like 2000 times a day. We're like cyborgs already. We're so dependent on them. Here's a great, here's a great thing to do on, on a Friday. When you get done with work, take this thing, turn it off, stuff it into a, a dresser drawer under some clothes. Don't touch it for 24 hours. You will feel a freedom like you've never felt before. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so incredible. Get in the habit of doing it. Yeah. You know what's funny? I like purposely, I purposely leave the house without my phone sometimes. Like I go, if I'm going to the store and I, I know exactly how to get there, right? And it's not, I mean, there was a time we didn't have cell phones. Like what's really going to happen between me and the grocery store? You know, maybe some unexpected event, but let's see what happens. Can I quiet the mind from that anxiety of like, oh, what about this? And what about that? Like the need to check or like, what if someone's calling me? What if someone's texting me? My phone barely rings when it's in my pocket. Like, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, during the workday, sure. That's, that's a different thing. But like, for the most part, there's a few people that I have a small circle. So like, it's one of like four or five people that are going to be trying to contact me most of the time. And I mean, I think that if I spent a half an hour to go to the grocery store without my phone or couple hours to run some errands without my phone. They'll, they'll understand if I got back to them later on, it's really not the end of the world, but like this idea of like getting used to that, I don't need to be attached to this thing at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And, and there was a time where I got, uh, you know, really attached to it because it's that dopamine rush, you know, you post something on social and you know, you, it's exploding up and you're seeing who all liked it. And you have to realize that you've just become too addicted to this behavior. That is not adding any value to your life. And honestly, my phone lives in do not disturb most of the day, mostly because I'm, I'm focused. I don't want, especially when I'm training uh, or I work, you know, I'm, I'm in meetings all day. It's like, I don't want that to be a distraction because, you know, another notification came up. 
And so I, I have that and I have a set at night as well where I have to intentionally go into my phone to search and look for something because of the notifications, I don't see them. And it helps me to be mindful and present of what I'm doing right now. And so just getting on here, as I was, as we were getting, before we started recording, I'm going on my computer, I'm turning off all notifications, everything that's coming into me from, from work, turn off notifications on my phone so I can just be here and enjoy this right now. Otherwise we're, we're here, we're present physically, but we're not present mentally a lot of time. You know, it's like, watch, go go out to dinner and look at the the families around you. Most of them are all sitting there, but they're sitting there like this. Yeah. So they're not engaging. I know. Is that, is that how you compartmentalize your day usually? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's one of the ways I compartmentalize it is, um, is, is using my phone the features on there to, to basically push back. Plus with some of the features on iPhone now, you know, if you have your head, your ear pods in and I'm running, if I don't have do not disturb on when a message comes in, it reads the entire message. I'm like, I'm listening to my book. I'm, and it, it literally, the first couple of times I did it, I, I just, my head about exploded. It's like, what is going on? How do you stop this? And I learned, it's like, if you put it on, you know, do not disturb, then it does not say anything. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to know what's going on. I'm, I'm right here doing this thing. Yeah. Well, look, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, the past couple of years of your life. I mean, that's that I think we were talking before. That's a big part of how you develop this this idea around mindfulness and mindset. Maybe you had a lot of it from the United States military background. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, the disease you had is pretty rare. You, is it? Yeah. Do we say that you had or you still have it? Like it, I still have. Yeah, there's there's no cure. It, it, it consider it like a cancer in remission. You know, I'm, I'm, I get up every day and I'm grateful to be here. I'm fortunate to be here and uh, uh, fortunate to, you know, uh, consume some basic foods. Uh, but there is no uh, there is no guarantee as far as like how long that I, I'll keep doing this. But let me just explain to the listeners. I have a rare disease called esophageal achalasia. I went for probably a decade of my life. Every time I would go to eat food or swallow, which is, you know, a massive part of your every day. Uh, it was extremely painful for me to swallow. Uh, and I would, I suffered from what I thought was heartburn. I mean, an, an excruciating heartburn to where it felt like I was being stabbed in the back with a knife. Uh, and that was every day. And so I didn't go anywhere without some sort of antacids on me. And it turns out, uh, I didn't have any type of, um, uh, kind of stomach acid problem. Uh, esophageal achalasia, it prevents peristalsis in the esophagus. So when you swallow food, there's muscles and neurons that basically push that food down into your stomach. And there's a sphincter at the, uh, at the stomach uh, that opens up, food goes in and the sphincter closes so that stomach acids don't come up. Well, esophageal achalasia essentially paralyzes the esophagus. And that's what made it really hard to swallow food. And so that pain was basically food being stuck in my esophagus whenever I would eat. And when I would run or just go for a walk, it would jar up and down. Well, I didn't know that. No, that's one part of the problem. The other part of the problem is it causes a severe stricture in the lower esophagus and it causes the muscles around that sphincter to just tighten up and they won't open. And so over a course in 2018, uh, I was sick pretty much 90% of the time. I just had this cough all year and it turns out I had pneumonia and it got to a point where it became, it was aspiration pneumonia. Uh, and I was admitted to the hospital on Christmas day, 2018 doctors took 24 hours of testing, thought I was having a heart attack, all this stuff. And it turns out 
They discovered my esophagus was completely compacted with food, had distended four times its original size. Fluids were draining into my lungs and, and killing me. And they gave me about 24 hours to live. Thankfully, I'd been an athlete and um, I, I was able to pull through. Uh, but it was because of this disease. Now, leading up to that, I couldn't everything I ate for an entire year. I would I would eat food. And within a very brief amount of time, I'd be in the bathroom throwing it up and it would be exactly what I just ate. So I'm putting putting the puzzle piece together. It's like it's it's like I just eat this thing. It's is it even going into my stomach? And so going to doctors, this is so rare. They just thought I was under a lot of stress. I'm like, well, I'm under a lot of stress because everything I eat, I regurgitate. And when I go to lay down to sleep at night, I cough and choke. Well, it turns out it was food lodged in my esophagus that would kind of come back up into my throat and I would cough and choke and I'd be up all night. And so I ended up sleeping, sitting up a lot if I could. And it was it was exhausting. And so I'm in the hospital for about a week. Uh, they do um, doctors do a, an upper endoscopy, clean out my esophagus. I go home. I'm placed on a liquid diet for 10 days of just protein shakes. And sure, you know, it's basic. And I get drink really slow because I still have this stricture. Well, me, my mindset was, OK, 10 days, my esophagus is going to calm down. It'll it'll go back to normal and you know I'll be good. So 10 days later, I go to a specialist and she tells me, Jeff, good news. You don't have cancer. And those are one thing they testify. for. Bad news. You do have this disease, esophageal achalasia. It's happened really early on in your life. Kind of talking to me like, oh, your life is over. It's like, well, what are we going to do about it? She goes, well, there's a couple surgeries that we can do. We're going to go in and we can cut the muscles in, in your esophagus to release that sphincter. And then you'll be able to eat food just based on gravity. And you probably won't be able to eat you know, like steak and hard, rough foods like that anymore, which was really depressing for me at the time. Uh, but it's like, you'll be able to eat soft foods really slowly, small bites. I go, okay, cool. When do we have the surgery? What's it all about? <laughs> so go, well, we can't get you in until April 17th. This, this is like January 1st. And so I'm like, okay, so, so can I go home and eat? No, you need to live on liquids. And so immediately I let go. Uh, I, I didn't even have a process for this. I was just thinking from here till now or from now until April 17th, I got to live on, you know, muscle milk. Are you kidding me? <laughs> How am I supposed to function? And so I kind of I kind of go home and, and, and I lose my my I lose it that night a little bit. And uh, but I told my wife, I go, you know what? We can do this. I go, I'm going to I'm going to feel sorry for myself tonight. I'm going to I'm going to shed some tears, which I did. And tomorrow I'm going to get up. And this chapter of my life that I knew is over. This is the next thing that I have to do. I got to figure this out. I have to be resourceful. So I did. I started tracking all my calories, you know, blending up different things, putting weight gainer uh, in, in, in my, my protein shakes. Granted, to drink a protein shake could take me 30, 40, 60 minutes because I had to sip it really slowly because it's basically try like trying to swallow through a titration device. So if I took a big gulp, my esophagus would fill up and I would just cough it out uh, because it wasn't, it wouldn't drain fast enough because I have this tiny, tiny little structure where it would take, it would take so long to just kind of drip into my stomach. So I would try to get up and have um, a shake around a thousand calorie shake, which would be as the time went on, I'd have to put it through not only a blender, but a filter as well, because it had to be so viscous just to get it in. Uh, and then it would taper off from there because I, my esophagus would never fully drain. So I slept in a chair. So anyways, at the time I was a consultant uh, for uh, sales benchmark index and 
uh, a month of living on liquids, sitting, sleeping in a chair. My back went out. I lost 30, 40 pounds, you know, very, very quickly. I was kind of a wreck. I went from hero to zero uh, really, really quick. And because uh, it took me some time to figure out how do I actually deal with this. And uh, so I I just called the partner and said, hey, you know, I think uh, I need to take a sabbatical and get my life sorted because I got to have the surgery. And then there's a long recovery time, all this stuff. And that's fine. Uh, so we, we, we parted on good terms a few weeks go by and I get a call from a CEO in in New Zealand who had a uh, struggling sales and marketing organization said, Jeff, I really need a chief revenue officer to come in here on a contract and turn things around for three months. I go, well, I don't know who, who to recommend. He goes, well, I'm calling because I need you. I was like, well, here's my state. And he listened to it all. And he's, and he, he's actually a good friend. He's like, Jeff, I know you. He goes, you can do this. He goes, if you come in on board, you can do all of this remote and uh, I won't ask you to travel to New Zealand. He goes, we know we have offices in various countries, office in the U.S. and stuff. He goes, um, you know, do a little bit of travel there, but it'll give you a purpose again because you've kind of lost your way. You know, it's your job as a leader is to bring out the best in your team. And if you have a team and you could go in and do this, it'll take the mind, your mind off the fact that your life kind of sucks right now. So I thought about it and uh, said, you know, I'll give this a shot. And I'll figure it out. And so it did. It gave me a new purpose and it and um, it helped me to get really resourceful really quick on getting the proper nutrition in my body. So that time goes by. April 15th uh, comes and I receive a letter from American Health Insurance saying, unfortunately, you know, this disease is so rare and you have not had any recurring symptoms or been admitted to the hospital. You've adapted to living on a liquid diet. We are not, not going to cover this procedure for you. So uh, that was a real gut punch, quite honestly. And and they, the letter went on to say, if you disagree with this, you can file an appeal uh, or you can pay for the surgery outright and then file the appeal and try to get reimbursed. And as I thought of it, I, I just looked at it. I was like, of course, I'm going to file an appeal. I like, well, we could go. We could go pay for the surgery, but it's a matter of human dignity. And if you're doing this to me, you're doing this to other people. It's one hundred thousand people to get this disease. By this time, I connected with various groups for people around the world who are all suffering and basically just saying your life no matter longer, longer matters. Like, sorry that you got this. Uh, you know, and meanwhile, it's from people who obviously are, they're not missing any meals as you talk to them on Zoom. It's like, folks, I'm, I'm literally starving here. Yeah. Get it, throw me a bone. So that was a real challenge. Uh, but then I just thought, I saw it as kind of like, you know what, this is a, this is a test of business acumen. It's a test of leadership. It's going to be a test of, of, of grit and resilience of fortitude and of just human will to get through this. And so I tapped my wife and because up to then I was just trying to endure all this on my own. And I said, uh, you know, I, you keep asking what you can do to help me. You can help me by being the forward facing person who is handling the health insurance appeal process with me. And, uh, and she did. She took that battle and, and ran with it. And it was amazing because then I got to just focus on what I was doing. And so kind of in a nutshell, though, that year. Um, so I'm. I. I started to learn like new habits because uh, I when you when you can't eat food, there are no cheat days. Uh, so I'm just basically putting rocket fuel in. I read a book by Rich Roll, his uh, his, his book, and he talks about, you know, all these high caloric nutritious shakes he would he would make granny stilly food. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy has he's on something here. And so I started doing that. And my energy level, even though that I slept in a chair and I would 
still wake up and cough and choke most of the night. Didn't really get great sleep. My energy kind of was going through the roof. So I started doing Olympic distance triathlons and climbing all kinds of mountains and doing all kinds of amazing endurance things uh, with very little training because I just had this amazing energy. It was like my body was reset because I had no more processed toxins of just like, you know, cheap meals or anything like that. I always had a pretty healthy diet, but when you're traveling the world, you fall off the, the wagon sometimes. Uh, uh, but that, that role that I had as a chief revenue officer, uh, that ended, I was introduced to another organization, uh, to the board to be an executive coach for a CEO. And it was a few weeks and the company hired me on a contract to be their chief revenue officer. Uh, the company was in a lot of trouble, uh, and essentially orchestrated a coup at the board and removed the existing CEO and founder so that I could turn that company around. It was a SaaS company, uh, international um, based in New Zealand. And that's what I did for the rest of the, for that rest of that year while living completely on liquids. So long story short, I lived 365 days on strictly liquid nutrition, slept in a chair, turned around multiple companies, uh, ended up battling health insurance. We went through three appeals. One, uh, finally won, won our case, uh, and not only our case, but anybody who has this disease and that particular insurance provider, this this procedure is covered now. And uh, I, ended up, I had to fast for 40 days on clear liquids, Pedialyte and apple juice, in order to go three procedures, uh, because that's how bad of a state my esophagus was in. Uh, and, um, and then Christmas Day 2019 is when I had my first meal of scrambled eggs in the entire year. It was the first time I picked up a utensil. My family was looking at me like, wow, it was the first time I had a, a seat at the table, a placemat at the table. And it was amazing. And so for the next few months, uh, I actually just lived on, still lived on a liquid diet and just scrambled eggs, cheese, avocados, because it was all I could eat. It was kind of a, you know, kind of a rebuild. And there's a whole lot more to, to that, that part of the story. And then COVID hit. And uh, I, my wife and I were planning kind of this, uh, you know, this restaurant food tour to kind of introduce myself back to the world and COVID hits and everything shuts down. So we just kind of laughed. It's like, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, there was, dude, there was so much there. I mean, I, I, I love, because you told me that story before, but I love, I love hearing it. It's, it's reminiscent of some stuff I've, I've done too, but you talked about how you, you looked at this as like, all right, this is something you went you had the emotions that you had that night, right? You broke down if you needed to break down, but then you you decided that you wanted to face it and that you were just going to figure out what the process was and and move forward. Where did you learn that? What, or what was it? Where did that come from? Like, are you... You know, I think throughout my life, I've been through so many hard things. I have a... Um, our son was born with three cardiac heart defects, uh, had emergency surgery, few days after he was born, had no idea, essentially lived his life in a bubble for a year because his immune system was compromised. That was one of the hardest things I've ever been through, time in the military. Uh, but one of the things right out of the gate that I learned um, that came coming into this is you just have to accept reality. When something happens to you, don't waste time asking why something is happening to you because why traps you in the past and you can't do anything about that. And I go into organizations and I serve as the agent of change. That's what I do. And Socrates once said, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And I repeat this every time I walk into a company. It's like, we got to let go. And this is change is the only constant. And so I apply that to my own life. It's like, you know what? I can't get lost focusing on what life was. 
And I also have to change my attitude because your attitude is the most important choice that you make every single day. And uh, it's like Victor Frankl said, you know, it's like everything can be taken man from a man uh, except for, you know, that one last human freedom. And that's the attitude um, in any given circumstance to choose your own way uh, of how you want to deal with it. And so I read I started reading a lot of books on. Um, mindset, resilience and stuff. But I read books on um, the Holocaust and what people are going through there. And I started putting in perspective that this isn't so bad. You know, it's like I'm, I'm home with my family. I get to sleep in a, in a chair. I get I have a blender. You know, it's like if I was, you know, if this was 1800s. I wouldn't have access to a blender. Nobody would know what this disease was. So I started looking at it as I'm very fortunate. Uh, to be able to be here right now and do what I'm doing. I still have a career and I'm not even, you know, out there trying to do it. I was just, Hey, I got some runway. I'm going to just take a break here. And, um, Hugh Downs once said, he said, a happy person is not a person in a certain set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. And to me, that was my, uh, that was kind of one of my, my mantras every day is, is wake up and focus on having an attitude of gratitude. Be thankful that you're here in the fight because not everybody has that opportunity. It's like, it was a miracle that I even went to the hospital because I'm so stubborn and was diagnosed because otherwise the day after Christmas, I wouldn't have woke up, you know, I wouldn't be here and to be able to be here and do what I'm doing and fight for this disease. And my, my personally, I, I was like, I'm going to give this disease a voice. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to let it dictate or limit me. And doctors would plead me to be like, Jeff, you shouldn't be doing like these endurance things. You shouldn't be traveling the world because you only have so much willpower. You're not going to be able to not eat food. And when you eat food, you might get pneumonia and die this time. And I'm like, Hey, you don't know me. You're not, you're not in this fight. And I'm like, yeah, it sucks. And and when you, when you're living on a liquid diet, I do not recommend anybody travel overseas. That is, that's a pretty brutal experience because when you're home in your environment, you can set it up for success. You can, you know, and, and when you're overseas, you don't have the same resources. Uh, and, you know, it's like food is a catalyst for human connection. And so when you're having business meetings in person and stuff, it's really, really challenging when you're already starving, you know, to, to not bring the attention on you and sitting there drinking your glass of water or whatever. And uh, it, it, it that was a that, that was a whole nother part of the challenge that I went through. So I did do some travel and that was that was brutal. You were traveling for work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the company I was uh, that I was serving as CEO was based in New Zealand. So I spent a month over there in September of that year. And uh, it was that was a challenge, but I, I made it through. I actually uh, befriended a um, a gentleman who owned a smoothie, um, a smoothie bar, like a few blocks from the hotel, became like one of my closest friends. And uh, he made me amazing smoothies every day. And uh, and. Yeah, it was. And I just stayed busy. Did you so. do you maintain any of that? So what's your diet like now? Do you have to maintain any of that can, like now afterwards or can you? Yeah, yeah. So I eat um, uh, I I typically I start my day. I, I intermittently fast every day. I have around between 11 and 12. I have a shake. I cachava is my go to athletic greens. These are these are some of the, my, my go to um, meals that I would have during that year. And these have a lot of amazing nutrition. It's it they're they're fantastic, and so I have that, and then throughout the the afternoon I, I eat um soft foods. Honestly, it's like I I'm like a mouse. I nibble on a lot of cheese. I like avocados, grapes, soft food like that. Uh, and as far as um meat and poultry and and fish and stuff, I 
Fish is the best thing for me to eat, just like salmon. I, I love salmon, uh, but I don't have a massive appetite. Uh, I, I used to weigh 195, a lot bigger, muscular kind of CrossFit dude. Now I, I stay around 160, 165. Uh, I don't consume a whole lot. I find less is more keeping your body in a constant state of one, which I'm very used to. I just run more efficiently. You know, if I, I go run, uh, last year I ran an ultra 31 miles. I ate nothing. I drink some hydration stuff because my body just runs optimally, uh, on, on very few calories, uh, especially getting up because it bogs me down. But my diet is so simple. Uh, I, the, the most, the, the roughest thing I can have is chicken once in a while. But if I have some chicken, I better be going for a walk because I have gravity kind of get it down. And it's a constant reminder every day, because if I am in a setting and I'm really hungry and I take a few bites of something really quick, it's instantly clogged in my esophagus. I got to drink a bunch of water. Uh, so the disease, I still have this. There's no cure for it. Uh, but right now, uh, what the doc, what what a surgeon did is went in and, and cut those muscles at the lower end of my esophagus. So it's basically like I have a hole and it's like, well, uh, I can rely on gravity to, to drink liquids and uh, eat some soft foods uh, to get it down uh, and and drink, drink some water to get it down. And it works for me. I uh I look, I look at it every day. Some, some folks learn about, you know, my diet and what limited things I can experience. I can't have any spice, not even ketchup. Uh, for some reason, this disease, it's, uh, it, it's, it does not agree with any type of spice like that, but I don't look at it as I can't do these things. I look at it as I get to, uh, and, and honestly, I, you know, to, to going back to mindfulness and being present when you haven't had like a cherry tomato in over a year and you go and enjoy a tomato, a cherry tomato or a grape, and you haven't tasted food, it's like being born again. It's it's one of the most amazing experiences, like uh, mindful eating. Uh, and, and until you've done it, it's so hard to describe, you know, just to eat the natural food that's provided on this earth. And that's what I get to do now. And it's been a life changer. I think uh, it, it's helped me to develop even better habits. It helped me with my fit, fit, fitness goals because I don't get to uh, kind of fall off the rat wagon. I can't have pizza, you know, don't eat bread and all that stuff. And, and I'm totally fine with it uh, because it keeps me, this keeps me on the straight and narrow, quite honestly, this, this disease does. And it helps me with what I am trying to achieve in, uh, in my world of, of fitness. Yeah. That's some great framing too, that you took this challenge and you're looking at it. Well, now you get, you know, out of necessity, you're, you're, it's more of a paleo diet, it sounds like, right? General, I mean, you're eating cheese and whatnot, but you get what I'm saying is that, like, I think that I, I practice intermittent fasting, but on purpose, right? Not, and it sounds like you do too, but I mean, we develop these, these habits that, that help us operate and we figure that out. You have to do it as necessity um, and it's working for you, but I like that you're, you're framing it. It's a, it's a matter of perception, right? Um, and it's the language we use with ourselves. I think, I do a lot of talking about that where um, saying that you get to and not that you have to or that looking at something as an opportunity. I read a book. It's called um, The Surrender Experiment by Mickey Singer. And it's all about how he you've read it. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and on Tethered Soul by him as well. Yeah. yeah. I read so good. Yeah. And I love that. You, he treats everything. He treats everything as if though it was a gift from the universe. And every opportunity is something, it's just a gift that's coming to him. And um, I heard some of that, you know, when you were chatting about like, you know, just 
you choose and it's more of a mindful way to look at it or that it sounds like that's what's helped you develop this presence and mindful eating and, and actually enjoying the food that you're eating because you have more of a, a frame of reference for uh, for going without it. Right. There's a lot of things that we take for granted and that we feel like it'll always be there. But, you know, yeah, like- yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, and and like sleep, too, because my sleep that year was just a wreck. I wouldn't even say I really slept. What's it like I was now? reading all these books, but it, it's, it's wonderful. It's it's actually the metric that I track the most uh, is my sleep, uh, because uh, sleep, nutrition and then training is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, folks will look at me. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's like superhuman what you just did. It's like, yeah, but it's the uh, it's the foundation uh, that is underneath that you don't see that my life is opt- optimized around getting the proper rest, getting the proper nutrition, which is so, so crucial. And, uh, um, yeah, especially the older you get, you know, it's like, I, I train for the listeners. I train two to three hours every single day. I haven't missed a day since my last surgery. Uh, once, well, a week after when the doctor said, Hey, you can, you can start training again. And, uh, and, and I do this every single day and the way I can do it is through proper nutrition and, and rest. Uh, otherwise I, I couldn't do it. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 44, I believe I'm 47 now, I'll be 48 in a few months. Uh, and, uh, I feel like I'm 18. Yeah. Well, the way that you train and the way that you do things, I mean, I think, are you, is your motivation to do that? to show that you can overcome something challenging and still be even better than you started. I mean, is that part of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So resilience is, I hear a lot of times resilience described as bouncing back, but I think it's bouncing back better, uh, quite honestly. And, uh, it, it takes, you know, it's about persistence and perseverance and fortitude. And, you know, there's so many ingredients that go into grit and resilience. And, and yeah, I, I, I looked at it as I, I want to be kind of shine as a light for other folks to show what you can do. And I have, I've connected because I've been on fortunate to be a guest on many podcasts and I write a lot. I post on LinkedIn and it's amazing. The people who reach out to me behind the scenes to say what you just did has impacted my life. So, you know, so, so much, uh, cause I have this disease or I have cancer. I, I thought my life was over and here you, you know, in, endured all this stuff and you're still going. And, uh, and I look at it as life 2.0, I was granted an opportunity, but yeah, I, I, I want to, I, you know, the most powerful form of leadership is, uh, the example that you set people do what people see. And so I want to, I want to, I, I want to strive to set an example in how I live my life of what you can achieve, regardless of the cards you've been dealt. It's like, I was dealt this hand. I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, when I first got this, it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, I don't want to have this, you know, I, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And, and honestly, you know, I, there's a quote I read years ago, health is the crown on a well person's head that only the sick can see. And I get to see that every single day for 365 days uh, in a year, uh, watching people, you know, either overeat, complain about eating, but still have their health to just go do whatever they want to do. And meanwhile, every day was just this grind and the physical aspect of it. You can adapt to living on a liquid diet 
And, uh, and fast for 40 days when you don't know you're gonna have to fast. That's a, that was a, a very spiritual journey, uh, and something I'm writing about my whole experience, but that was, that was incredible. But honestly, it, it became more of a psychological journey of isolation because like I said before, food's a catalyst for human connection. So when you don't get to go, you know, sit down with your family and enjoy a meal together, you sit down with them and everybody's eating and it's, it can be very hard to connect on that level because they're ex- you know, eating is this experience that we we love, you know, throughout the world, throughout all of our cultures. It's part of our way of life. And when you don't get to participate that, you know, you're I felt very isolated. And so for me, that was really the the mental and emotional challenge that when I look back on, it's almost like I have a kind of PTS from it. Oh, uh, which is it's it's upsetting me now just thinking about it, because that was the brutal part living on just liquids. I adapted to it to where, I mean, it's a big part of my life now. It's fine. Uh, But I still, now I get to, you know, take my wife out, have dinner. uh, And, uh, and, and it's wonderful. Um, But, uh, but that part was just, you know, it was, it was a mental challenge uh, to say the least, but it goes back to being mindful, you know, that, uh, that year, you know, is like, uh, um, it's like running, this four by four by 48, how do you run 48 miles in 48 hours is you got to run the mile that you're in. You know, you break it down. It's 12 rounds, four miles each, let go of the end game. And that was my thing that year is just every day, just stay mindful right now. Let go of the fact, you know, that you're going through this, but here's, here's something, the smell of food when you can't eat is this intoxicating combination of both hope and hell. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, that could be me someday. That smells amazing. And then meanwhile, you go back to reality, you go back to what, the situation and you're like, wow, this is a total hell. <laughs> and so you have to, your environment determines a lot about the habits that you create and your success and whatever you're trying to do. And so I would just remove myself from those environments. When I had to fast for 40 days and go through three surgeries and I'm in a hospital, I did not go into a store. I did not go into out with my family to any restaurants. I was either in my house, here in my office, uh, or, you know, at my, my wet bar turned into my smoothie bar, uh, which turned into my apple juice bar that those 40 days. And, uh, and I would have my apple juice and stuff. I would go on my morning gratitude walks and I kept myself, I was completely isolated. So that I didn't have any negativity, any type of temptation or anything else out there. I just, I kind of just went dark. I was completely dark. Hardly anybody could communicate with me except for my team, my company that I was leading, which I would check in with them on Zoom every day. I didn't, you know, portray it out to the world, everything that I was, I was going through. Anything that I did write about was just positive on the situation. I um, mean, because I would wake up surgery after surgery and then I think, oh, hey. How everything go? Am I going to get to come home and have some food? It's like, oh, yeah, the surgery was a complete failure. We have to do this again. You have to keep fasting, by the way. And this happened. It's like, Jeff, this apple juice is getting, it's causing some problems, you know, because it's getting stuck in your esophagus, just sloshing around all day. You can't drink that anymore. You know, it's like the Pedialyte. You can't drink these colors because it's doing this to your esophagus. It's like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, we want you to just live on an IV. And so I ended up living on an IV for seven days no water via mouth uh, in order to have the last surgery to keep my esophagus clean and clear. So there was, it was just one hit after another, but it goes back to what I said earlier. You just got to accept reality and, uh, and you got to find some humor in it as well. Quite honestly, it's like, I found my wife and I would laugh at a lot of it. Uh, you know, it's uh, I, I, because my esophagus got so bad 
I would be drinking a protein shake in like August and I would have to get up on like a couch or something and jump down onto the floor trying to get it to like push down into my stomach. And, uh, and I would just have to laugh at it. It's like, this is so ridiculous, but <laughs> yeah, you know what, man, I love that. And you said you found a, you found a group of some people that had this, a similar, either the same disease or similar disease to, to chat with and connect with. I did. Yeah. So I found groups and the, the challenge though, I'm still connected with a lot of them. The ones who had a more positive mindset is, um, is there was a lot of kind of a victim mindset uh, in, in that, you know, it's a, uh, and, and my thing was own your struggle. It's like, this is my journey. I'm owning it. This is my disease. And, and what I found was, uh, you know, it's those with a perpetual victim mindset tend to create the situations in which they suffer. And uh, playing the victim is like playing your get out of responsibility card. Quite honestly. And so I'd be posting positive stuff. I'm a biomedical engineer um, by, by, by school. And I worked in med device for 15 years of my life. And uh, I was a super nerd. And I got, I connected this last year with a group of, of graduate students at Georgia tech, one of the top by BME biomedical engineering schools. And they were interested in this disease. And so I kind of partnered with them behind the scenes to, you know, explain my experience and some of my thoughts around this, and they developed a prototype device to repair peristalsis in the esophagus, you know, and bringing a med device to market, there's a whole lot to it. Uh, you know, it's, dec- you know, it can be decades long process, but it brought a lot of hope and inspiration for folks. And so I posted it to this group and the owners, they, they actually took it down within about five minutes. And it's like, what the, what is going on? And I would post my articles to this group that I write about achalasia and, and things, and they'd always take them down. And because, but they would never take anything down that pandered to the victim. And uh, my mantra was, I'm not what happened to me. I am who I choose to become. And so I've, I still mentor a lot of these folks uh, and they all agree to, it's like uh, the, the victim mindset, you know, kind of runs wild with folks uh, because a the victim, they see failure. It's like all of a sudden I can't eat. They see that as a sign to stop, you know, living, stop doing everything. I, I didn't. Where to me, I have more, I call it the warrior mindset. It's like, I see failure as an opportunity to learn and grow. And that was my mindset through there. It's like, I'm going to learn about the depths of me, my mindset, my mental toughness. I'm going to learn about the limits of human potential uh, in, during this process. And I'm going to grow. And as I was enduring this and I had one punch after another, it's like in health insurance denies coverage, you know, multiple surgeries fail, all of these things happening. And uh, I just looked at it as I, I haven't grown to become the person that is big enough to get to the top of this mountain yet and summit it to be the leader for, for others on this. And so I just kept looking at it as one door, like I wake up from surgery, my wife would be upset. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you have to keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep going on with this. And I'd say, hey, we're not out of the fight yet. It's like, we're going to keep growing through this. And you have to grow through what you're going through. And I just, it was like a mission for me which is now years later is why I'm, I'm finally processing it because you don't have time to process like all these emotions and, and things while you're going through it. You got to, you got to run the mile that you're in. You got to keep staying right there, focused on it. And so, you know, and victims, they see, they also see discomfort as something really to avoid. And to me, discomfort is, it's a part of growth. And my mantra is greatness hides on the other side of pain. 
And if you want to, if you want to experience greatness, you're going to have to go through the crucible. You know, it's like, you know, the, the shiniest diamonds are forged under the greatest pressure. That's the thing, you know, I'm in a community. There was so much there. I mean, I look, I, I think I shared with you a little bit about, you know, my, my story. Um, I got sober seven years ago and I was, I was a very different person, right? I've got a couple suicide attempts under my belt. Um, one like official, like planned it, ready to go. And I ended up postponing it to watch the season finale of Law and Order SVU. Um, right. Something I can laugh about now. And, and, you know, we talk about things. I spend a lot of time around a lot of people. We, we talk about things that other people we laugh about things that others cry about. And, um, you know, we all take time out to to have our pity party. And some some last longer than others. Right. And I do think there's like what you're saying about the, the victim mindset. I. I think our reticular activating system will, will do exactly what it's supposed to do. So if we're focused on the negative, we're focused on resentment, we're focused on fear, we're focused on poor me, we'll find more opportunities throughout our day that reinforces that, right? The opposite of being resentful is practicing gratitude. It's not, you know, I, de- you know, we do, I do take personal inventory and I look at where have I been resentful, where have I been fearful, but it's not so that I can focus on those things. It's so that I can do the opposite. Where can I, how can I do more and be more for other people? How can I get outside of myself? Because when I'm focused on me, I feel real bad about me. But when I focus on others, I no longer have time to worry about my problems because I'm too busy worrying about your problems and I want to be useful and helpful to you. And it gives me an opportunity to feel just that useful and helpful. And I mean, yeah, there's, there's something about that. Um, and, but with that, I had to go through a, it's a spiritual program of action and I had to take a lot of spiritual actions. I had to act my way into a better way of thinking because me sitting up thinking when I feel better is when I'll do something would never happen. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. There's so many good nuggets right there. What you just said. And I found the same, my, to me, being a leader is about serving others. And so as I was serving these organizations, I was serving a greater calling than myself. And that was, and, and I served as a mentor and executive coach outside of my day job to so many people that year. Meanwhile, I was suffering, but it helped to keep me lifted up, to be able to pour into others. Uh, and and I, that's where I gained true fulfillment for that year. I think that was the most significant part was, was not, was what, well, I consider it's like I have to hold on to my character. I can't lose myself and go down in this gutter and and be this victim. There's there's a great um, verse from a poem, and I forget who wrote it, but it says, I've never seen a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. And when you look at animals, when, you know, I was driving up skiing last week and it's minus 17 degrees and there's antelope, there's buffalo, there's horses, there's elk. And they're just standing out in these fields, minus 17 degrees, still falling on them. Nobody's feeling sorry for themselves. And uh, we do that. And and I would go back to that quote a lot. You know, it's like, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself on this. No way. And I actually had to cut ties with people who would feel sorry for me and be like, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It's like, whoa, 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 hey, calm down. It's like, don't feel sorry for me. It's like, if you want to help me, support me, challenge me. Treat me as, you know, like you would anybody else. Uh, I'm, I'm not going through some sort of suffering that uh, I'm less than human right now. It's like I've embraced this. I have my process down. I am learning and growing. And 
honestly, it's you, if you could go through something like this, you're going to see that there's so much more to you. You are leaving potential on the table of who you could actually be. And it was, it was also just a, an extreme test of patience. You know, it's a four by four by 48. It's a, it's a test of patience. You know, Lao Tzu said, nature does not hurry yet. Everything is accomplished. And one of the hardest things in my life has been having the patience to, to endure things or wait because it's like, Oh, I want to get this done right now. I'm an achiever. I'm also on the spectrum. So I have a very strict rituals that I go through every day, which this was like a new program. I had to download to live on liquids, uh, which was a challenge to go back to eating because I had adapted to this way of life. And, uh, but here's the thing I've learned. If you lose patience, you're going to lose the battle. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's just so, so true. Patience is like this ultimate remedy but it can be the most elusive, you know, patience is, is bitter, but it's, it's fruit is really sweet. Yeah. And I think that goes back to developing a mindful way of living, right? Cause that you help to do you patience is a skill set just like anything else. And we can develop that through meditation or purposely putting ourselves through discomfort and sitting through that delayed gratification. Um, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, I, there's a saying that I have that, I mean, I was taught that pain is the touchstone of spiritual growth, right? And you can shorten that to just pain is the touchstone of growth. Like, I think everything, it took me a second to really kind of process what we were talking about there a couple of minutes ago. But yeah, like every time I'm growing, it's never because things are going awesome. When I become a different person and I'm growing, it's because I'm going through a challenge, Right. In my mind, I think it's going to be I'm skinny, all my pants fit, everything's going great. Like there's a party and that means that, you know, things are, you know, I'm growing. But it's always when I'm in a moment of challenge or I feel a despair almost, it feels like emotionally. Even though it's not, we live in a first world country, like I'm fine. But, you know, in my mind, in that moment. Um, but on the other side of that, it's I ask everyone about a jumping off point, And I think we've covered it multiple times here. What I call the jumping off point is a moment in time where you can no longer continue doing what you're doing, but you're uncertain of what to do next. Or even a moment where you're in some sort of like physical or mental pain or both. But looking back, you're incredibly grateful for that experience because without that experience, you wouldn't have the relationships you have, the mindset you have, the the life you're living today, whether it's a job or whatever, wouldn't exist without that period of time. And I look at that. Those are growth moments. Those are the inflection points of our lives. Those are when we become who we are now and everything we're doing now will be what makes it our future self. So, you know, it's, it's just like you, I can, you kind of summarize that too, is that, um, you know, these are the opportunities to push, push forward, you know, and I didn't do it alone. I had, I had help and, and that just being of service to other people has filled me with a lot of gratitude and a lot of fulfillment. Um, to keep me focused on other people and other things besides me. Cause if I'm focused on me, I'll find every flaw. I'll find everything that's going wrong with my life, you know, and some, some real, some not real. I'll make up a problem. Yeah. We can be our, our toughest critics and, and we probably, you know, should be, and, and we throw out gratitude quite a few times. And my, my habit in life, one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning, I have this whole routine is I, I, go to my gratitude journal and I write down at least three things that I'm thankful for. I did this this morning. And uh, during that year, it took more than just writing down. I had to go, I went on gratitude walks in the morning. Plus when you wake up and your wife's making bacon and eggs and it's, 
that smell and you're starving, you're like, oh, I got to get out of here. Uh, so it's like, let me, you don't, let me not fall down, down on the ground here. It's like, I'm just, so I, I would get in the habit, just get up, get outside, go for a walk, be thankful for starting with myself. It's like just going down, you know, all the things I'm thankful for, uh, being alive to go into my family and going out in the circle being thankful for where I am. I live in Colorado. It's amazing where we live, being thankful for my career. And I would just, you know, I'd walk and tell myself all of these things I'm thankful for. And it would change my mindset. The fact that I'm going to endure a whole nother day of living on liquids, uh, on very little sleep, you know, and battling health insurance, all this stuff. But it would change my state where I'm like, I go back to the, I get to do this. And that is a huge part of my my life every day, you know, get back late last night from a trip, get up this morning. I see the family come down. Boom. I'm in my gratitude journal. What am I thankful for today? And uh, it's really yeah, hard to sit here and have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it, it's really hard to be in self-pity and resentful and, um, you know, negative when you're focused on gratitude. It's just, you know, it, it, it's it's super difficult. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you starting your day like that, I think, is huge with because you're you're training the reticular activating system that this is what I want to focus on today. You'll see the same scenario, but from a different lens uh, with yeah. a different pair of glasses, just simply because of the way you started your day and the fact that you're looking for an opportunity for this to be just that an opportunity to grow or be useful or be helpful versus, oh, man, look at how bad this is. I wish it wasn't happening. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, there's so much to starting your day. As we begin our day, we craft our lives. And I have so many mantras around that. It's like you can either uh, um, rise early and strive for greatness or snooze your way to mediocrity. That That is uh, one of my things I wrote down years ago. And it's uh, it's literally so true because in the mornings, I it's like my sacred time. It's I'm untouchable. I get up pretty early. Uh, I, I start off with my uh, prayer devotional, my spiritual side. I go to my gratitude journal and then I go right into um, my, uh, my workout routine, which is typically 30 minutes of yoga and planks and stretching and stuff. Just to, you know, I'm 48, so I got to get my body warmed up. And I, 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 I actually enjoy that part because that's when I listen to audiobooks, I listen to podcasts. I watch motivational stuff on YouTube because I consider it feeding the good wolf. I take time to read uh, every day. Uh, and it's these little habits, you know, it's like every choice that you make, I think it's uh, James Clear and Atomic Habits said this, uh, every choice you make is like a vote you're putting into a ballot box for the person that you want to become. And you may not win every day, but if you put enough votes in that box a year from now, you are going to change the person that you are. I've been doing that for gosh, decades now. Uh, and then, and then I go into my training, which is typically two hours. Uh, and then I, uh, I, I go and take my shower, cold shower, hate it every single day. It has so many great, um, things that it does for you. And, and it's also, it's kind of like spraying on greatness. And honestly, after I've trained, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, fed my mind with some, you know, great things to learn. Um, you know, filled myself up. I feel like it's like inflating my balloon. Now I've inflated myself so that I can go pour into my team and pour into others. And I've taken care of leading myself. The hardest person to lead is yourself. And uh, in order to lead others well, you first have to lead yourself extremely, extremely well. And your team, if you are a leader, is only going to be ever as effective as you are. And what got you to where you are today is not where it's going to take you and your team where you need to be tomorrow. You have to 
be relentless about growing. And myself, I served as, as a consultant for years. And even now, I've, I've served as a chief revenue officer in many, many companies. It's never, the, you know, there's so many similarities, but every market is different. Every team is different. And I don't pretend for a second that I'm, I've arrived. It goes back to be like, wow, I feel like I'm an imposter. I'm in this industry with this size organization doing this. Everybody's looking at me as like, okay, captain, you know, where are we going? And I'm just sitting there like, wow, am I even qualified to do this, even though I have done it? Uh, because I think it goes back to just being humble. Uh, you know, and, and being, having some humility. And sure enough, I learn constantly just new things about leadership and sales every single day to make my team that much better. It's my competitive advantage to, to kind of stay ahead of them uh, and be able to raise them up as well. You can't take others where you haven't been. You know, it's like a lot of leaders are we getting on to leadership and we can dive really deep here. A lot of leadership leaders serve as kind of like travel agents trying to send people places. You have to be a tour guide. That's the most effective leader. A tour guide is somebody who brings people along to be like, yeah, this is how we actually do this. You know, here it's like people want to see somebody who is willing to get their hands dirty and not just sit back in their in a nice office and call in the shots and they never even see them. Be a decent human being. For crying out loud, uh, build build relationships. Relationships are the foundation of being an effective leader. Uh, relationships of trust and just getting to know people on a personal level. When I meet people, it's like you know the, the folks in my organization now, uh, my team uh, walking in. I instantly see a lot of the issues wrong with the company. I don't call them out. You know, it's like you have to diagnose and then prescribe. You don't want to be kind of sued for malpractice. You got to look at the data, but the most important thing is getting to know the people to earn their trust because they don't really care how much you know until they know that you care. And so it's just coming alongside them. It's like, tell me about yourself. Tell me your origin story. How did you go, go from first, where are you from? And how did you get here? Like what has been your career and like life track? I want to know about it. I want to know about your family. I want to know it inspires you? What do you do outside of work? What are you reading now that I should be reading? What would you change if you had all the power that I have right now? What would you do differently in this company? It's like, you've been here longer than I have. It's like, I just walked in the door. I don't even know where the bathroom is. Tell me what you would do with this place. And uh, I don't know. It's not an answer for me. <laughs> I will, I will pull it out of them because everybody has ideas. And it's, it's also hoping to get to thumbprint on the plan because I might already know what I need to do, but I pull out those trends. And that way it's like, Hey, I've talked to everybody. I think it'd be a really great idea if we do this based on what you've recommended. What do you think? And then you get their thumbprint on it. You bring them along for the ride. I mean, yeah, I love that. That's, that was really the, the whole reason why I started this podcast, right? To get sort of that idea and those, those nuggets from leaders like yourself, but also to get to know the leaders themselves. I think that I spent a lot of time in, in corporate environments where people are almost there. It's like they're afraid because of office politics and, and a hierarchy to even engage with like the C-suite or someone in a leadership position for fear of either some sort of like, you know, some some retaliation due to office politics from someone who's higher on the totem pole than you. And 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 also, you know, being in charge is not necessarily being a leader. Right. I love that you can't lead somewhere, someone somewhere where you've never been. Right. You're leading by example. You're not just telling them what to do. Anybody could do that. Uh, you know, that's a manager. Right. But that's not necessarily a leader. Um, yeah, it's so true. And you have to just come down to earth and and uh, integrate with the troops. You know, this, this here's 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 the number one thing. If you're a leader, you're an executive. Never eat lunch alone. 
And and by you don't have to go eat with all the executives. You see these people all the time. Pick somebody new until you've gone through your entire team organization. You know, this week I'm going somebody we have a uh, sales development rep been here for two months and it's like boom let's go let's go have a chat for a half hour to an hour i want to get to know each other and they're so grateful for your time but you're also learning from them then you get to have those career conversations like okay you've been here for two months where are you going to be in the next two years you know what can i do to add value to you how can i help point you in the right direction of of and what are you seeing from your point of view how do you see things you know looking up into the organization how do you see like leadership and management, the direction of the company and stuff? You know, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What can we do better? Uh, and, and you can't be above that stuff because I've met, you know, we've all met our fair share of brilliant so-called leaders. Well, being brilliant uh, doesn't make you an effective leader. It just makes you an asshole uh, if you want to lead that way. So quite honestly, I have no use for it. Uh, and um, it's it. it, it, it you, you just got to, you know, slow down, slow, smooth. That's a saying we have in, in, in the military. Slow, smooth, smooth is fast. Direction before speed. speed. And you, get, you gain that direction by coming alongside and getting to know your team and, and earning their trust. You know, trust is so, so crucial in, in any relationship or team environment or company. Because I look at trust as it's kind of like the immune system. You know, it's like you look at the the disease aids why was it such a why is it such a deadly disease it compromises your immune system makes you susceptible to disease trust is kind of like similar to that when you have a lack of trust in a relationship it starts there you first it starts with building trust in yourself having credibility it starts with your character you know having competence to be able to do the job you know all the skills knowledge all that stuff uh, are you a credible trustworthy competent person and then you build relationships and then you expand out and build trust within your team, your organization. And, uh, and there's a process to it and it just speeds everything up, uh, quite honestly, but you have to be willing to, it goes back to patience, being patient to, to, to have those conversations. And quite honestly, it's like to being an effective leader, you have to be a great coach and coaching is about asking questions and, and listening. And to me, that is the most exhausting part of my day is to be, it goes back to be mindful. You have to be present and mindful to listen with somebody there's a japanese symbol for for listening this kanji signal and it has it represents um the ears you know i'm listening to hear you the eyes i'm when i'm, I'm i see what you're saying uh the the mind it's like i'm thinking about what you're saying uh the heart i feel what you're saying and then it's like the whole person it's like i'm, I'm listening with the intent to understand your perspective of what you're doing and if you actually really do that like you're listening to me right now, Phil, <laughs> it can be exhausting when you're done. Uh, and so that's why I go back to my my day, my start off my day, kind of kickstarting. I, I, I boot up my program with my exercise, all my other stuff I'm doing. And then at night, you know, it's kind of a similar routine, uh, but it's kind of my, to decompress, to live my life in a daytime compartment. So I'll typically do another, you know, round of exercise in the evening, maybe 30 minutes. Uh, and it's my time to decompress a little bit. I take a Epsom salt bath. I meditate in order to bring my best self to my family and listen to them. Now I got to be able to dial down, you know, it's, I got to, I got to bring my life back down to neutral from all the conversations, all the listening that I've done, the learnings that I've done, the decisions I've made and try to, you know, put that program on hold, put it on standby, shut that, shut that computer program down. Now I can go and boot up. I'm in family mode. Now, let me, let me learn about, let me learn about what was the best part of your day. 
uh, talk to my kiddos. So anyways, getting a little sidetracked there, but, uh, um, every single day that, you know, we have these choices that we can, that we are going to make in the next level of you, I consider it's like, make that next level proud of what you're doing today. You know, it's like, there's a future you out there are the choices you're making today, making that future you, um, closer or is it pushing them out further? You know, we, we have a choice to make. Uh, so, yeah. so do yourself a favor and, and, and make your future. You're proud by enduring the hard things and being disciplined to just grind through the process today. Yeah. A lot of small steps, right? But there was something you mentioned earlier about feeding your wolf, the good wolf and the bad wolf. And I've heard that story. Um, couple times is that what you meant or did you mean something yeah 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 so the the story kind of goes you know there's two wolves inside of us and they're always battling and which one wins and it's the one that you feed and it's either the one that's negative the kind of the victim the poor me all this stuff or it's the it's the courage wolf it's the it's the wolf that is a leader that is striving to be better Uh, it's the positive everything positive uh Mm -hmm. outlook on life and and so be cautious of what you take in. You know, I find folks who just live their life, you know, with the news on 24 seven, pretty negative. There's guess what? There's nothing positive in the news folks. Yeah. (laughs) And that's part of diet. Diet is not just the food we consume. It's everything that we, I think it's everything we take in, right? Everything that we read, everything that we listen to, everything that we watch, the company we keep. I mean, I'm a small circle guy, not because I feel like I'm better or worse than anyone else. I think humility is accurate self-appraisal. But just I surround myself with people of like mind, right? And I try to challenge myself by finding people. If if I want what they have, then I need to do what they do. So I'd better learn from the people that have what I want. If I want a successful relationship, don't hang around a bunch of single people. Find those married folks. Maybe I can't hang out with all married people, but you get what I'm saying. And insulate myself to the best of my ability from those negative people, except for where I may be able to be a positive influence. But it's not up to me to decide for someone else how they should or should not feel. I don't shoot on anyone, but it's, I also don't need to spend time around people that are, you know, stuck on cable news and that's all they want to talk about, or they can find the next problem. They have a problem for every solution. I don't, that doesn't get me further to my goal. To your point, like my future self does not want that for me. And I don't want that for my future self. So I, I cannot do it in the present. Um, I love that. You're so, so right. And I love that it's more than a nutrition diet because it's, it's about the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And, and, and it is, it's all everything that's coming into us in those kind of four realms. Uh, you know, it's either, we're being, you're being nourished properly or you're going to be malnourished and you're, you're right on the money too. It's I, my circle is, is extremely tight, very small. Uh, and I'm sorry, but you're negative. And if I connect with you and on social and you're posting something that's negative or it doesn't align with my values, you're out. Uh, I don't have time for it, you know, because it's a chip and my, my kind of overall nutritional plan in those four realms, kind of how you put it, my diet, it's like, I, I can't have that kind of toxic cancer in there. I don't. And guess what? I can't control anything that's happening in the news anyways. It's it's my kind of circle of concern. And guess what? I'm not too concerned because whatever. Uh, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I feel. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to set up echo chambers for myself, but also like, you know, I'm I'm open minded enough to listen to other people's points of view. But like, yeah, like 
a lot of that stuff, if it's out of my control, then I don't need to worry about it. And if it's within my control, I don't need to worry about it because I can do something about it. Right. I, yeah. can, take, <laughs> I can take action towards it. Right. You know that, what I want to ask? That is so true. Yeah. I, I don't need to worry at all. Right. But I want to ask. So you're so regimented in your in your routines and you were able to go through uh, the challenge you have with your disease and get into those certain routines, even as a leader. Like, I don't necessarily consider myself to be a leader. I'm trying to learn from people like you, but like you've developed these routines so that you can show up in the lives of your team and, and be the person you want to be. A lot of that prayer meditation, we can dig into that, too. But how much of your ability to do that so regimentedly? do you attribute to being on the spectrum? Do you think that's helped you be able to like, just kind of dial in on that stuff more than someone who isn't? It, it has. And, and and here's the thing I discovered last year that I was on the spectrum. I never knew. And then it was kind of like, I lived my life in black and white and all of a sudden the world has been opened up to HD. And so as, as we know, you know, for every stimulus, there's a response. And then between that time, we have a choice to make. And choice is a function of awareness. It's raised my awareness uh, to a higher level. So I make more informed choices so I can actually interact with people a lot better. My wife really knows this because I have a very, I'm, I'm very regimented, you know, very disciplined. Uh, God forbid somebody puts something on my calendar that wasn't on there, you know, an hour ago and expects me to be there. Uh, but I could have very little patience. And now I'm more open to change. I go to Dallas every week. I stay in the same hotel, eat the same food, the same meals, same restaurant. And I sit at the same table. And if the table is taken, I will wait until it is open. And the the staff that work there actually know. Jeff, we will get your order in as soon as the table is ready. And that's just the way I live my life. When my wife and I were dating, I took her to the same restaurant on a date night every single week, asked to sit in the same table with the same uh, um, waitress. And every week, to me, I, I didn't really realize this until I started learning. She's like, wow, we're having this again. You're eating the same thing. It'd be really nice to try this place over here. And I was like, why? This place works. Uh, it's <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's, there's so many things about my life though. Like, well, growing up, I didn't really, I have a twin brother. Uh, I didn't really have any friends. I was, I was voted the quietest kid in our high school. Uh, and I didn't really speak to anybody and I just knew I wanted to go into the military. Uh, and I live my life alone and, 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 uh, and, and books and, and numbers and stuff. And I was, completely fine. You know, just being alone doing that military. I really excelled because there's a process for everything. Loved it. Uh, and, uh, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of discipline, but I, there was, it was just so regimented. I just, I just fit right in. I was like, I love this. And I excelled at everything. Uh, I got out and I struggled because there wasn't a process and in the civilian world, there's, it's not as high standards compared to the things I used to do. And so I struggled with it so much. Uh, but yeah, being on the spectrum, it's it's really my superpower uh, to be able to learn really fast. And and the fact that my life is designed, my travel, everything is designed around my routines of what I have to do. And but now I'm even more aware of it. This is why I have to do this. And I clarify with folks. It's like, hey, until this time every day, it's like I'm untouchable. Uh, I don't you know, I, if the building's burning down, you have to call somebody else because this is what I have to do. This is when I'm on the clock. Uh, for you, I'll be working, you know, later than anybody probably, but in the mornings, uh, you know, until nine o'clock, it's like, 
here's my thing because I'm up early, 4, 4.30 doing my thing. But I also just need time to read. I need a little bit of screen time to catch up on stuff after I go through all my routines and everything because my day is spent in in meetings, face-to-face, uh, you know, with with the team. And uh, uh, so it, it does help me so, so, so much. Um, it, it And it helps my family as well now because they know uh, that no matter where we go, it's like, well, dad has to do this in the morning in order, you know, before we do anything else. And they're fine with it. They totally get it. Um, and it makes my life simple, too, because like living on liquids every day for a year, I didn't really realize it when I was going through it. But it became just kind of just normal uh, because it, it is just a program. I'm executing a program. I consume the same thing every single day that I'm alive now in my house. When I go to Dallas, I have my routine there now where I consume the same things every day. My staff can tell you it's like at 1230 every day, I walk uh, a few blocks and I get a smoothie uh, at this smoothie bar and I walk back. And then uh, <laughs> there's certain times of day where I have, I do this, this, and this. And it's just like clockwork, uh, but it helps to make me more effective and productive. It also enables me to interact with others um, uh, a lot better now knowing this uh, because it, it's kind of like, you know, everybody in my company actually uses a Mac. I use a PC. We're different on different platforms and I'm, I'm, I, I'm literally on a different platform, but now I I'm coming over. It's like if we had a beach ball here right now, you would see a color. I would see a color. Now I'm actually trying to go over and try to see their, the vision, the color that they're seeing their perspective instead of being so rigid and this is how we do things. And it's, it's makes me a more effective leader being, being aware of it as well uh, because it was not always easy, but also a superpower because uh, I'm a super math nerd, kind of a savant when it comes to data. And so it, 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 it really helps me to come into an organization and be able to see that organization, that company in, in, in a HD type of perspective, almost three dimensional that they may not be, they may not have seen because they're, yeah. they're in, they're in the weeds so much. Uh, so that is a, uh, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. Yeah. When's your book coming out? That's a great question. Uh, hopefully next year. That is, that is one area where I, I definitely need more account, you know, the strong kind of accountability partner. Uh, I've written a lot. Uh, I, I, uh, so much, and, and it's just, it's just bringing that thing to life. Uh, and, and the whole purpose of, of, of writing my book is to hopefully, you know, just to serve as a light for others of what can be done. I have no goal of, you know, making money off of it or anything like that. I, I share my story. I'm invited to give talks all the time. And it's, it's really just trying to serve, be a service to others. Uh, it's like, this is what I went through. This is, these are the lessons I've learned uh, to, to, that, that I hope can bring value to whatever you're going through in your life. That is my only intent is to be of service to others. Yeah, man. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, you actually go by Montes, man. So anyone who wants to find you on uh, on Instagram, that means mountain, right? It does. Yes. Yeah. So whenever I, uh, I I left my consulting firm, I got a call to do that contract uh, for I needed a, an LLC, uh, which has grown substantially now. And so I was like, OK, well, what's a what's a Latin word for mountain? I just needed something real quick. It's Montes. And uh, yeah, on Instagram, I'm Montes man, mountain man. My wife is Montes babe, uh, which is great. Uh, But my consulting group is called Montes group uh, that I created years ago. Uh, And uh, uh, yeah, it just means uh, mountain group because we're, we're based here in the Colorado mountains. Yeah. So you're in the best state. You got everything, everything you want to do is out there. 
And, um, and I guess you're pretty active on LinkedIn. So anyone who wants to connect with you can find you there. Definitely. Yeah. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, if we connect on LinkedIn, uh, anybody who messes me, I, I always get back to you. Uh, it's typically a lag until the weekends because of my weekdays. I don't live in email. I, I don't live on, you know, kind of on, on getting back to all, all those me- all these messages. It's it's uh, just because I have spent so much face time. So it's usually later at night or on the weekend when I finally get caught up on that stuff. But I will get back to folks. I love connecting, love networking. And uh, my thing is uh, connecting. I just want to see how we can add value to each other. Uh, God forbid you try to pitch me on how you're going to you know make my company or life better uh, out of the gate. It's uh, nobody wants that. Try to go forward and, and learn about somebody first, folks. Uh, and just be a, be a value. Yeah. Be a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, man. Uh, Well, I appreciate you being here. And thanks again for for joining us, sharing your story. Yeah. I mean, look, I I feel like I could talk to you all day, man. And we got so much in common. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Phil, I've enjoyed this a lot. And uh, awesome, man, on the Murph. Well, uh, hopefully we can meet in person sometime and uh, we'll get after it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope it adds value to everybody out there. You know, one of my uh, going back to some of the things we talked about today with resilience and grit and uh, leadership and gratitude and mindfulness is I just challenge everybody to doubt your limits, raise your standards, and above all, refuse to be average. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.